I love a good sermon review. What I mean by that is when I'm done preaching and I'm standing back there and someone comes to me and says, that was a good sermon, Pastor. I really liked it. If someone says that, it gives me a smile on my face saying, all right, like, you know, I had an impact on someone. Um, and um, this past week, um, I, um, we pre I preached um, about church being broken and beautiful uh, as to how our church uh, can reflect the face of Christ. And that's the challenge uh, that we aspire to be, that how each one of us is, say, is trying to seek God's goodness. And yet, we're all broken. We're all broken people. And I kind of uh, talked a little bit about um, uh, hypocrites uh, that, are, that we find in church. And I said, you know, I am a hypocrite as well. So I was shocked when this individual had a big smile on their face and they looked at me and said, that was a really good sermon. I just loved it. I was like, wow, finally, we're getting what it means for us to be a church broken and beautiful all at the same time and but then these words followed i can dad i can clearly see that you're a hypocrite <laughs> that was my 10 year old daughter annika who gave me a beautiful compliment <laughs> that i am a hypocrite so there you go you have proof now <laughs> you all know that i was telling the truth so there you have it all right, <clears throat> two weeks ago, I went, uh, as I said last Sunday, uh, that I uh, helped um, at a camp, uh, Gretna Glen Camp. It is uh, a camp that's run all through the summer. Uh, and um, when our kids were younger, I used to do this all the time. And over the years, I've kind of like, kind of st straight away from it, uh, essentially. I would always give a week up, uh, go and serve. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great time to be there. Um, and so this past week, a uh, couple of weeks ago, um, I was at um, Grand Island Camp, and I was a camp counselor for middle schoolers. And I have some news for you. Middle school boys have not changed. <laughs> they really have not changed. The jokes are the same. The noises that they make are the same. Their maturity, well, they're middle school boys. What can I say? All right. So we had a blast. There was this one kid that kind of caught my attention uh, a lot as I was kind of being part of it, he would, he would do stuff, he would get caught doing stuff, and he would immediately say, I'm sorry. There was this big, um, there's a brand new building at Grand England Camp that was built after a lot of prayer, a lot of fundraising, it was a new uh, shower house. Um, so he was there, he was taking his dirty, muddy shoes, and he was like throwing at the building. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? Like, stop doing that. And one of the things that we say at Grand England Camp is, let nature be nature. You're in the woods. They're going to be bugs. Let them be. They're going to be stones. Let them be. Stop kicking stones. Stop trying to kill stuff. So anyway, so, but this guy was like yakking at this wall. And I said to him, I was like, yo, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm killing a landonfly. Aren't we supposed to kill landonflies? And I was like, okay. And I walked over and saw there's a muddy footprint that's kind of ruined the wall, and there's a dead spider. And I looked at him, and I said, you lied to me. And he goes, I'm sorry. What do I do with that? What do I, what do, I do with that? I'm sorry. What am I supposed to say to him? Hey, this morning, I'm not trying to complain about um, what a middle schooler did. But I'm kind of trying to ask the question in this context. 
about how do we as Christians view forgiveness? How do we as Christians understand forgiveness in our own lives? Right From a young age in church, we're taught about what it means to be forgiven. Right? We've memorized the scripture, John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our transgressions, all our sins. Right? When we come to the Lord's table each month, we do the same thing. Right? We pause and we ask God to forgive us. How do we view forgiveness? How do we view forgiveness in our own lives? And what is a Christian way of seeing it? So this morning, I want to share with you three things. Um, I want to talk about uh, why we sometimes end up sinning in our own lives. And I want to use the story of David and talk about the first scripture that was read to us, uh, Psalm 51. And I want us to look at forgiveness not as something instantaneous, though it is, but looking at forgiveness as a process. And then finally... I want us to look at what, is, what does it mean for us to forgive those who hurt us. So the first one is David. The story comes to us from uh, Samuel chapter, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. Uh, and the story is this. This is how it starts. This is how it starts. The story starts this way. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle... David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rahab, but David remained in Jerusalem. This is the first and the foremost lesson I think we need to learn. When kings went to battle, when kings went to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. See, one of the primary responsibilities of a king was to lead his people in battle. David was an excellent warrior. Like we have, we, when you read the book of Samuel, you see his valor, his courage. David was able to build up a small militia and fight against the enemies of Israel, even when King Saul was, was in the throne. He was later able to defeat the enemies of Israel. He was good at this, but yet David gave up his responsibilities to govern the people of Israel and to keep Israel safe from their enemies. In the spring, when the kings went to battle, David was home. When kings went to battle, David was home. And he sent his servants away. In doing so, he was not fulfilling the responsibilities. He was not carrying out what he was appointed to do. And then when he gives up that responsibility, he begins to lust after Bathsheba. And he commits adultery. He desires that which is not his. And then he tries to cover it up. I think that's what sin does. When you commit adultery, uh, when David committed adultery, he's like trying to find ways to cover it up. So the, what he does is he goes and gets Bathsheba's husband to come back from war. And he brings him into the palace. He dines with him. He eats with him. And he hopes that Uriah would go back to his wife. But Uriah is so committed 
to his nation and the soldiers that are still in the battlefield that he doesn't go home to be with his wife, but rather he sleeps in the king's palace. See, Dave, Uriah was doing everything that was responsible, and yet David was not doing what he was appointed to do. And then once he finds out that Uriah was not with his wife, he finds a way to kill him. He sends him into battle and tells his military leader, when the, when the, when the armies are fighting and they're about, and it is filled with force, make sure that you pull back the army so that Uriah is left alone on the battlefield. And Uriah dies on the battlefield. First, David committed adultery, then committed murder. When David committed murder, he's tried to celebrate Uriah's life uh, as a war hero. And then a couple of days later, after Uriah's death, David brings in Bathsheba, he marries her, and he thinks all is forgotten. But it's not. There's a prophet named Nathan uh, who comes up and he says, let me tell you a story, King David. He said there was a man who was a rich man. He had, ma he had many sheep. He had many sheep in his, under his care. And then there was a time that this rich man wanted to host a big dinner. And he was hosting a big dinner, but this rich man did not want to take the sheep that belonged to him, but there was a poor man who had just one sheep. So he decided to go and get it and kill it and feed his guests. And when David hears this story, he is enraged with anger, saying, how could anyone do this? How could anyone go after something that belongs to another man? And he says, if I find that person, I will kill him, is what David says. And the prophet Nathan says, that's you. That's what you've done to Uriah's wife. See, I think the problem with David, um, as we look at this story, I don't think he broke, yes, he broke, he committed adultery, and he committed murder. But I think the commandment that he first broke was not those two. The first commandment that he broke was the 10th commandment. He desired that which was not his. The 10th commandment says, thou shalt not covet. For whatever reason, David felt like he didn't have enough and he had to get something else. After all that God had blessed David with, he still felt like he had not enough and he thought he wanted something else. That is breaking the 10th commandment. And all the commandments are based, and one rabbi said that all the commandments are built on the 10th commandment. If you keep the 10th commandment, you'll be able to keep the rest of the commandments. Thou shall not covet something that does not belong to you. This morning, I want to ask us this question. Is there something in your life that you're saying that you don't have enough of, that you wish you had something else, whatever that might be. In David's case, 
it was adultery. But in your case, what that could be? What, it, what is it that you might be desiring that is not yours? Because that is at the root of most of our sins that we commit. Feeling like we don't have enough and we covet that which is not ours. So after David gets convicted of his sin, he prays this prayer. It's a beautiful poem that's written in Psalm 51. <sighs> Hear these words. Verse, uh, reading from verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin, from my inequity, and cleanse me from my sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David is teaching us how to seek forgiveness. And in these verses there, twice he kind of declares that God is a God of mercy. Because the Jewish law required if you kill someone unjustly, that you would be stoned to death. And David was condemned to die. And God had mercy on him. God, he is crying out to God and saying, God, have mercy on me. And God says, yes. That is the beauty of this story. When we go before God and say, God, have mercy on me and forgive me, God says, yes. God doesn't say, no, 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 sorry, that's too far. It's not going to happen. No, God says yes, and that is the beauty of the God that we serve. When we confess our sins, God says yes. And God forgives us in that instant. Jesus forgives us. Every time, he forgives us. But I just don't want us to know the fact that, yes, we have a God of mercy, a God who gives us grace, a God who forgives us the minute we say, God, I'm sorry, have mercy on me. That does not mean we have a get-out-of-jail-free card, that we can do whatever we want to do and just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Because look at how David ends his prayer. This is what he, he writes, Then I will teach. He's begging God for mercy and saying, God, please forgive me. Right? And this is how he ends his prayer. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. The way David is seeking forgiveness is a process. He's saying, God, cleanse me from my sin so that I will be able to teach those who are committing the same sin. You cannot teach someone not to sin when you're doing the exact same thing. You fill in the blank. You can't say, don't do that, while you yourself are doing it. Constantly committing it over and over again. Because if you do do that, the person will say, hey, buddy, you know, look in the mirror. You're doing the same thing. Why are you telling me not to do it? Friends, when we seek forgiveness, we need to come to a place where we are able to teach others who are committing the same sin so that they may return to God. 
That is how we are called to live. We're led to sin when we covet something that doesn't belong to us. And forgiveness is a process. And our goal is that we should be able to teach those who are committing the same sin to live differently. And that takes work. And that's a process. And finally, we come to the story of Matthew 18. Um, and here, Jesus and Peter are having this conversation. And, and the story goes something like that. There's essentially three characters. There's character one, two, and three, right? Many times when we've heard this story, we've kind of found ourselves in character number three, the guy who's in prison and not forgiven. So this is how the story goes. Character one, he's a rich guy. He has a lot of money. He lends a lot of money to guy in the middle, <clears throat> To this guy who can't pay his debt back. There's no way, no matter what he does, he is unable to repay the debt. The only result of that when, when you find yourself in this culture is that you are enslaved and your whole family for the rest of the generations are enslaved as well. That's how it, it worked. So this guy, character number two, begs for mercy from this rich guy. Right? He begs for mercy from the rich guy, and the rich guy says, you know what? I have so much money, I'll forgive you. Go by yourself. And this guy goes out and finds another guy that he gave money to. Character two finds character three, and he says, yo, where's my money at? And the third guy says, I can't pay you back. I can't pay you back. And I kind of resonate with the guy character two guy is because how is he going to pay? How is he going to pay, make his bills, right? How is he going to feed his family? I know he's been forgiven, but he still has to live his life, right? He still has to pay, and he still has to walk through all those things. So he's like, no, I'm going to imprison you, and I'm going to enslave you for the rest of your life. Right? But when the character one learns about this story, he chastises the second guy. And I want to find ourselves in that second guy this morning. Because here is the truth and the reality. It is not easy to forgive those who hurt us. It's not easy. It's not easy, especially if you're hurt uh, in the context of relationships. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to say... All right, I'll forgive you. And sometimes Christians have used this story to kind of manipulate uh, in abusive situations and different things like that as well. It's not easy. It's hard. It's hard to give forgiveness to our neighbor. It's hard. The Lord's Prayer that we pray every time we gather as a church in our own homes goes something like this. Forgive us. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Of the word trespasses. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Trespass means someone walking over and destroying your property. Right? Someone walked over and destroyed our property, destroyed me, and now we pray as I forgive this person who has done this to me. God, forgive me.
kind of linked to that. And that is hard, friends. It is hard to do. If you are struggling to forgive somebody else, and you are saying, I don't know how to go about doing it, we would love for you to reach out to one of the pastors here. We would be glad to journey with you to talk about what forgiveness is all about. I want to share this story. If you're, I know this is summer's kind of coming to an end, uh, but if you're looking for a good book to read this summer, it's called Amish Grace. Amish Grace uh, was written uh, by my friend's husband, um, and it tells the story uh, of the massacre that happened in Nickel Mines, uh, a couple of miles from here, uh, in Lancaster. Um, and there were kids in an Amish school, in a one-room school, uh, that a gunman entered, uh, and he killed all the kids that were there. And then he killed himself. And there was this outpouring of support that was coming to this community. And uh, several people started donating money to this community. And one of the things the Amish did as they were starting to receive this money is they opened a scholarship fund for the perpetrator's children. They were able to forgive that individual and also care for his kids. So what does it mean for us to forgive those who have hurt us? What does it mean for us when the pain and the hurt is so heavy? One of the things that I want to say to us is you don't have to become best friends with the person who hurt you. But could you do this? Could you wish them well? Could you look in your heart and say, I know you hurt me, but I wish you well. I wish you well. Whatever you're doing, I hope you succeed in it. Can we do that? Can we extend that grace? Friends, as we come to this table today, I want us to be mindful. Are we chasing after something that doesn't belong to us? Do we desire deep within our hearts something that God has not given us? Are we seeking forgiveness as a get-out-of-jail-free card, or are we really working on being able to teach those who are doing the same sin? And are we able to wish them well? Let us pray. A God of grace, a God who forgives, God, we ask that your grace would be upon us on this day, even as we come to the table, that you would forgive us. And God, give us grace to wish people well. In your name we pray, amen.